can be seated. Welcome. My name is Doug Payne. I'm one of the pastors here at The Branch. I welcome you here. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you at some point, maybe even after the service. And uh, Corvallis is beautiful in the fall, isn't it? Oh my goodness. If you haven't done it, you should uh, take a walk behind the theater here. I think it's First Avenue or First Street. I, I know the streets really well. Uh, but if you just start from one end, go to the other, and the, the trees that the God is turning colors. I mean, it's, they're almost, the leaves are almost off, but it is beautiful. It'll, it could cause you to worship as well. Um, I, I, uh, uh, I hope uh, that this service so far is encouraging your heart to think about Christ. So we're going to pray one more time and then dive into Mark. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the truths that we have sung, the truths that have been read from Scripture. You have captured our attention with your Son. We pray that you would capture more of our attention Father, even as our brother already prayed, our attention is on so many things. This world vies for our heart's attention. God, even, even in the events that are going on now. And Father, you are the only one worthy of our worship. Our full attention, our gaze, let it be cast on you. Even this morning, as we open your word, we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. May our hearts be warmed to worship you. Set him before us. God, we ask that you would do all of these things for your glory. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our healer. In Christ's name, amen. So we are in Mark chapter 8. We're making our journey all the way through the book of Mark. And that's the pattern uh, that's been at the branch in terms of preaching. That's the pattern. Even before, long before I came, um, Josh and the elders have had a philosophy of ministry that says, let's, let's start with the word, let's preach expositionally, and that is take a book of the Bible and work through it sequentially. So that's what we've been doing, and we, we, take, we took a break for the Psalms, we took a break for unity and diversity, but in Mark, we are looking at our Savior. We're looking at Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Mark is portraying Jesus Christ as, uh, as the story of the suffering king. You know, when we think of kings and rulers and governors, we typically think of despots. We typically think of people who are tyrannical. You know, th those are the ones that make history, but not Jesus. He's the king who suffers. He's the, he's, the, he's the one who calls his disciples not into just life everlasting, but also into suffering on the way. And one of the, one of the key things that appear in Mark, I'm just going to move back because I want to be able to see the people in the front row. I want to see your eyes and your eyes. And one of the key themes in Mark is discipleship. And uh, have you noticed that? From right away, Jesus is calling people to himself, and, and he's bringing them on, on his way of suffering. There hasn't been a ton of suffering up to this point for Jesus, but in, uh, in Mark chapter 8, we're, we're going to start to see a, a turn. And Davey prayed this morning that, that there is a 
uh, one commentator put it, there's a continental divide, and we're at it right here. Here's the hinge from the first half of the book of Mark to the second half of the book of Mark. And we're going to see in chapters 8, nine, or, yeah, 8, 9, and 10 that Jesus is going to explain to his followers why he came. Here's the primary reason. Yes, I've healed and I've multiplied bread and I've healed the blind and deaf, but here is primary reason. I will be rejected by the religious leaders. I will suffer. I will die. But I will rise again. One of the things he's doing is calling people into that suffering with him. I became a Christian at a very young age. I think around the age of 10. And uh, 10 years old. And like most Americans, I want my story to be dramatic, right? Don't, don't we all want a dramatic story, one with flair that they'll make a movie out of one day? Uh, that's what I wanted, but that's not what God gave me. Uh, God did give my dad a testimony like that. He grew up in a very strict religious home, uh, poured his life into football, and, and was, was partying, partying all through his college years. And God miraculously saved him, and he stopped all of that right away and gave his heart to God and was a minister of the gospel from, from the time he became a Christian. And my dad has a happy kind of a faith and a bold kind of a faith that he'll just share with anybody. It seemed that God had touched him in a mighty way. My faith, however, seemed very gradual. It seemed like maybe God had touched me, but uh, it, it wasn't in this way that, you know, made it enticing to tell other people. I grew up in a Christian home, was saved from a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of, you know, I, I wasn't as bad as the drug dealer or the prison inmate. But as I grew, I understood my sins were just as terrible, and they needed forgiveness. But my understanding of the gospel and who Jesus was and, and how, how he worked in terms of faith and, and, and what that process is like, uh, it happened over time for me. Kind of over a long period of time, Jesus saved me in the same way he saved my dad. That is, he rescued me out of my sins. And yet, uh, he did it in a different way. He did it more gradually for me. And in all honesty, it's, all, it's gradual for all of us in some ways. But it was uh, by being raised in a healthy Christian home. That's, that's the way I came to faith. My family going to church regularly, having gospel conversations all the time, having a healthy family to look at. Like, oh, this looks like Christ in the church. And that difference between the spectacular, instantaneous, what it seems like instantaneous faith in some people, and the gradual faith of others who grow up in Christian homes and maybe are confused and go back and forth and maybe they never fully, you know, uh, turn their back on their faith, but it's a process over time. That difference, I think, is what's being displayed in our text this morning. So if you're not there, Mark chapter 8. And that process of faith is telling us that Jesus alone commands our discipleship from beginning to end. Jesus alone commands our discipleship from beginning to end. So here, 
hear these words. I'm going to start back at uh, verse 14, because I think it plays into our text this morning. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They were in a boat, and Jesus was teaching them. He had, had just left the Pharisees who demanded a sign, and they had forgotten to bring bread. That's the disciples. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven in the Fer- of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to see that Jesus controls the process of discipleship, the process of faith in all of our lives. And we're going to see that through two main points this morning. Through the helpless case of the blind man and through the wonderful work of the healing of Christ, the healing Christ. So the helpless case of the blind man, verse 22. You know, this story is intentionally placed by Mark right here. You know, do you know that? Uh, this, isn't, this miracle isn't found in any of the other Gospels. That, um, this miracle is found only in the book of Mark. And Mark isn't making it up. There's eyewitness testimony here. There's every reason to believe. Mark has been a, a good historian. He's used eyewitness testimony. He, he, he hasn't said anything that is questionable thus far. So you have, you have no reason to doubt him. And, and these texts are attested to uh, by scholarship. There's no reason to doubt these texts. And right here, Mark is putting, putting this here for a reason. Because Mark is giving us a narrative. He's giving us a, a story about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the, the suffering king who's bringing salvation through his kingdom. And he puts it here right after that phrase, do you not yet understand? It's a hinge between the first and second half of Mark. M- Mark is, in the first half, is showing Jesus He's presenting his gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. And his work is primarily to the Jews in Galilee. And then it's spreading out to the nations, as we've seen. It's spreading out into the Gentile world. And now in the second half, we're, we're seeing the flow of Jesus' ministry having proved that he's the son of God and son of man through his, his miracles and, and, and the way he's empathizing with mankind. 
Mark is now presenting Jesus as the one who is headed to Jerusalem. From here on out, Jesus' Jesus' face is set towards Jerusalem. That's where he's going. He's on his way. And what awaits him there is suffering and death. And Jesus, you know, intentionally uh, puts this, uh, Mark intentionally puts this story here because the disciples have been confused and they will be further confused. Have you noticed the disciples' confusion? Even in our, in, our, in our last sermon, Jesus is saying, like, he's just calling it out. Don't you guys, you guys don't understand. You have eyes to see, you have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. You do not remember. And even as he explains, he said, do you not yet understand? And the yet is a, it's a hopeful yet, right? That actually it's, they are going to understand. And this story is going to tell us how that's going to happen. Jesus is, has come over. Now he's on the northeastern part of the sea. And he's in Peter and Andrew's hometown. John 1.44 tells us that this is where Peter and Andrew lived. And, and Bethsaida, it, it means the house of the fisher. It's intentionally coming back to the house of the fisherman. And you notice what, is, what, what happens right away. The blind man is brought to him. Some people, just some people, they're undefined. We don't know who they are. They're not even mentioned as his friends, but some blind people, or some, uh, some people bring the blind man to Jesus. They had possibly heard about what Jesus had done, especially in his touch. Do you, do you remember the, the woman who touched his garment and was healed? And Jesus said, you, you did get healed, but it wasn't for your touch. It was for your faith. And other people hearing this had just wanted to touch the hem of his garment so they could be healed. And possibly for superstitious reasons, we don't really know, but they had faith that Jesus could heal this man. But he's a helpless case, isn't he? No, did you notice how Mark describes it? That he had to be brought. He, he was blind. He couldn't do anything for himself. He was, he was desperate need of people to care for him. Probably begging, probably asking for alms. He probably had to be led around to, to where he would, would beg and where he would sleep and where he would eat. And he was dependent on other people fully for this. He was blind. I mean, he wasn't, we, we have no idea why he was blind. What happened? Was it an accident? We, he probably wasn't born blind be, because he knows what trees are, and he knows what men are, and men walking like trees. But some, something happened to him, and we have no idea what that is. But blindness happens in this world because of the fall. This, this wasn't necessarily this man's fault. We have no idea what happened. But blindness happens. Illness happens. And it's not necessarily anyone's fault it's the fall. Sin has entered into the world and, and therefore our creation has fallen. This man is blind. And notice he had to be brought by other people. There's no indication that he asked them. Mark doesn't give us any indication that he even, he even knew about Jesus or wanted Jesus to heal him. But his friends had to bring him. Some people brought him. He's helpless. He's a helpless case. And even as they bring him to Jesus, they beg Jesus, just touch him. Please touch him. If you touch him, he will be healed. 
the man does absolutely nothing. He doesn't ask. Up until this point, he doesn't speak. He's not asking Jesus to heal him. We have no idea where his faith is. He's a helpless case. There's nothing he can do. There's nothing anyone can do. What is to be done? What can be done for this blind man? You know, he was a lot like, uh, he was a lot like our infants, you know. This, uh, this, is, this comes home to you when you have your first child, and babies can do absolutely nothing for themselves. <laughs> and, you're, and when you have a, your first child, you realize like, oh, wow. I really have to do everything for this, this little one or they will die. I, I have to feed them. Uh, I have to change them. I have to pick them up. I have to make sure, you know, they don't either sleep on their back or their stomach. I can't remember which one it is, but it seems to be changing all the time. And, uh, you know, I have to make sure that they're okay and they're swaddled correctly and they don't get too cold, they don't get too hot, and, and all of these things. And they get it on a sleep schedule, and babies are absolutely helpless. And that's just like what the blind man was. Friends, that's just like us. We are blind and completely helpless outside of Christ. Apart from him, there's nothing we can do. And don't we find ourselves in this spot, the same spot as his friends? With, with those of us who are Christians, we, we have non-Christian friends that we really want to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. But they're blind to the truth of the gospel. And, and we've been bringing them over and over again by prayer. And sometimes we get tired of asking or we forget to ask. And, and we just, we really want to see them come to Christ, but we just, we're helpless in it all. And we know that they're helpless too. And friends, the condition of our family and friends and neighbors is as hopeless as this man. They are blind and not even asking for help. But there is someone who can help them. That's why we keep coming. That's why we keep knocking. We keep asking. We, we keep coming to Jesus with them. And in, unless this man is put in the hands of someone who can heal him, he will remain blind. And so his friends come to the one who's healed the deaf and the maim, and they say, if you touch him, he will be healed. Helpless case of the blind man is turned over to the healing Christ, this wonderful healing Christ. The man is helpless and needs healing, but Christ can meet his needs. And in verses 23 through 26, we see the healing Christ. Notice how precious the interaction with Jesus and this blind man is. The blind man, remember, he can't do anything for himself. He has to be led around. I, I, as far as I know, there's no really school for the blind. There's, there's no way to get him involved in a trade so that, so that he, can, he, can, he can make a living for himself. And he has to be led around. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Before Jesus helps the man, he first leads him by the hand out of the village. The man was brought by some people. 
And now he's in the hands of the Son of God. And just, just notice the, the appropriate touch of Jesus. He takes the Son of God, takes the hand of this blind man. And he's holding on to it for some time because he's leading him out of the village. We, we don't know, but at some extended time, Jesus is holding this man's hand. And he's leading him. It reminds me of that old hymn, Jesus led me all the way. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. Jesus leads us all the way. The eternal son of God who took on flesh was leading this blind man to a personal encounter with himself. The son of man guides him. Just think about it for a little bit. What, he ha what Jesus had to do with him. As he's leading him out of town, he, he had to help him guide him steps. Okay, step here. Now you're going to have to step over this thing here. Duck here. Turn here. What a kindness of our great Christ. He takes, him, he takes this helpless man that can't do anything for himself, and he's leading him out of the village to perform a healing on him, to have a personal encounter, a personal relationship with him. He's going to open his eyes. We don't know why uh, he led him out of the village except to have a private healing. All, all Jesus' miracles were public. There, there were, except for three, uh, Jairus' daughter. Jesus, do you remember Jesus in, in Mark chapter 5, 35 through 43, Mark goes to Jairus' house. There's these professional mourners, and, and in some ways, the way they're acting is scoffing, and Jesus puts them out. He says, I'm going to do this alone, just to get them out of the way. And, and Jesus heals the daughter. In, in 733, Jesus privately heals this deaf and mute man. And here in 823, Jesus takes the blind man out of the city, out of the village, and he takes him privately. We don't know what his motive was, but probably to establish a personal relationship with him. We see again the kindness and compassion of Jesus with the touch of the hand. He's, he leads the man. To this point, he's completely, completely passive. He hasn't said a word. And, he, and he's, a, he, he's a willing but a passive participant in these actions. And the point is that the, the man is helpless and the son of man is leading him on to a place of healing. He has just, Jesus has just led him. And I wonder why you are here this morning. If you even think about why you're here. Is it out of habit? You've been coming to church a long time. You just need another church to come to. Or you've been coming to this church for a long time. And why did you show up? Or it was a random decision to show up. And, and you're just here uh, on a random thought. And I, I just want to tell you that I think like this man, Jesus is leading you to an encounter with the gospel. To an encounter with Jesus Christ, the son of God, who can rescue you from the judgment that is to come. And we see as Jesus has led him, there's, there's an unfolding healing. 
This is kind of like uh, being a private healing was unusual for Jesus. This is highly unusual for Jesus that his miracles uh, unfold or are in two stages. And I think it reveals something about the point of the passage. And that is Jesus can heal instantaneously. But sometimes he heals gradually. Sometimes he, he takes time and unfolds things and, and he does it for particular reasons. As to why he did, uh, did not heal instantaneously, John Calvin says this. He did so most probably for the purpose of proving, in the case of this man, that he had full liberty as to his method of proceeding. And he was not restricted to a fixed rule. And, and so the grace of Christ, which had formerly been poured out suddenly on others, flowed by drops, as it were, on this man. And Jesus, while he can do whatever he wants, and he saves people in different ways, and people are in different, people are in different spots in their, their sanctification and salvation. Some are more gradual, some are further along, and, and some take longer than others. And, and, and some of us, the faith develops over time. This is what Mark wants us to see. Though the disciples did not yet see they are about to see a gradual salvation that is real, a healing that is gradual, but real. And this tells us something, friends. Faith is, an, is unfolding. We don't look back to a certain point in time and say, that's my conversion, that's when I became a Christian, and nothing else has happened since then. Faith is, is an unfolding thing, and, and the, the, more we, the more we learn about Christ, the more faith we have in him, and, and it's progressive. And revelation, it's a, it, revelation is progressive as well. Jesus reveals over time progressively. He's doing it with his disciples, and he does it with us. So you get frustrated with where you're at in your sanctification, and Jesus is saying, look, it's gradual, Faith sometimes is gradual. Your discipleship is gradual. Your sanctification is a process that happens over time. And if you come again and again to the scriptures and you misunderstand, maybe you've been in the gospels and you read them again and again like me and you misunderstand them time and again, you misunderstand Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, this is a gradual thing. I'm revealing this over time to you. Maybe that's true of you and in your faith. Maybe in the way it, it presents itself in raising your children. I made that mistake again. I have to ask for forgiveness again. The testimony in your dorm. The, the one who lives a, a, a single life and the mistakes that are made there. Again and again, and Jesus is again and again revealing himself to you as the only one who can heal your helpless case. As you notice again, Jesus uses saliva. He spits on this guy's eyes and lays his hands on him. We don't know exactly why Jesus spits in, on his hands and lays it on his eyes. You know, by, as Westerners, we're grossed out, right? We saw it last week too. This is like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. Uh, but they wouldn't have been grossed out. Jesus was the perfect son of God, whether they knew that or not. 
And he was using the tools of the day. Uh, it, would, it would have been like a, a doctor, you know, using the tools of this day uh, to, to know that a healing is coming. But when, when Jesus came into contact with the unclean or, 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 or the ones that needed to be healed, he, he did not become unclean himself, did he? Have you noticed that in the book of Mark? Instead, he makes the unclean clean. So, so to think that his, somehow his, his spittle or his laying on of hands without you know, rubber gloves was somehow uh, spreading some sort of disease, Jesus, Jesus was the only one who was clean. If anything, touching him should have made Jesus unclean, but that's not how it worked. This was the son of God, the son of man, who was more likely to be defiled, a sinner or the perfect son of God. Jesus was just using the, the, the tools that healers used in the, in the ancient Near East, and, but Jesus was using these modern tools showing that he had the power over them. He, w- he actually could heal. And he laid his hands on him. The laying on of hands, you know, as he, after he had led him by the hand, that's appropriate touch of, of the Son of God, he lays his hands on his eyes. And laying on the hands of people and animals in the Old Testament was a way of consecrating them to God. It was ma- a way of making the profane sacred. And Jesus was laying his hands on this blind man in a way that was going to separate this man for the work of Jesus, showing that Jesus like Isaiah 35 says, was one that was going to heal the eyes of the blind. And here's where, here's where it becomes different than his other miracles. He, he asks him a question. He doesn't, he doesn't really do this with the other people. After he heals them, they're instantaneously healed. Jesus asks him a question, do you see? And we're left to wonder, why does he do that? Was this just a really hard case? Was it just exerted, Jesus had to exert extra power for this one? Was, you know, was the man's faith just not strong enough? Or what was going on here? And friends, I, I think it, the reason he does this is, is because he is revealing to his disciples that they are actually the blind ones, spiritually. They are the ones that need their sight healed. And he's doing it in a process. In, in verses 23 through 25, there are no, nine different references to sight. And remember, Jesus had said right before, you have eyes, but do you not see? Why do you have eyes and do not see? And Jesus is saying, I will make you see. They do not see they need the healing touch of the Savior to make them see who he is and what he's going to do. You may wonder why you still have questions about what Jesus is saying in the Gospels or why you still at times do not see. The point is not you. The point is looking to Jesus, the only one who can make you see. When Jesus touches you, you will see. The man had his, uh, had his eyes open. Jesus asked him the question. He says, I, I, you know, I see people, but they look like trees. 
walking around. I, I see, but I don't, I don't quite see clearly enough. And this is, man, does this, does this resonate with you too? Man, Jesus, I think Jesus has really opened my eyes. I think that happened when I was 10 years old. But there's still so much I don't understand. I come to the Gospels again and again, and I think, man, I, I just don't quite understand why he said that, why he does this. Jesus reveals stuff to us progressively and gradually. Don't lose heart, friend. If you're, a, if you're doubting, remember that Christ controls your discipleship from beginning to end. Do you remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.6? I am sure of this, that he, that's God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. He will bring it to its proper end. It will be complete. You will understand. You will have your eyes fully opened on the day of Jesus Christ. Helpless as you were when you were brought to Christ, so helpless are you now apart from him to do the work of salvation. Christ alone will heal you. Be assured of his work and commit it to him daily. Maybe you are one of the blind. You may be here and thinking, uh, you may be here not as a Christian, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, very fi- I'm fine, thank you very much. I don't need anyone to heal my blindness. But friend, is it possible that you are blind and don't know it? Do you possibly have a blind spot that you don't know about? Is it possible that you are rejecting Christ when you shouldn't? Jesus Christ has come to heal and restore the eyes of the blind. Notice he lays his hands on him again and he opened his eyes. Now, what had started in gradual has come to its completion. His sight was fully restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home and says, don't even enter the village. And we don't know all of the reasons for that, but it's possible that Jesus was saying, you, you don't have to go beg anymore. You're, you're free to work. You're free to earn a living for yourself. Um, there's some thoughts about the secrecy of Christ, and it wasn't quite time for him to be revealed fully, but next week we'll, we'll see that the time has come that people are starting to, Peter is starting to see who he is. And so he sends the man home fully healed. He sees clearly, and Jesus, Jesus says, you don't have to go back to your old way of life. You, you can go back as a fully healed man. And Jesus, as Jesus fully heals the sight of this blind man, so he's going to, over the next few, whatever it is, weeks with his disciples, months with his disciples, he is going to heal them. And they're going to misunderstand again. Peter's going to confess him as Christ, and then he's going to say, not so, Lord, you're not going to the cross, and going to suffer. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. They're going to have their eyes open, and they're going to become dim again. They don't fully understand. And, 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 and as Jesus gradually gives them faith, he goes gradually, as he gradually, progressively reveals more of himself to them, it comes to the end. 
and one of his disciples at the cross in chapter 15, the Roman centurion, he will, full, he will see clearly now. And he will say, surely this is the Christ, the Son of God. William Cooper, you know, no one demonstrated the need for this process of faith more than William Cooper. It's spelled Cowper, but pronounced Cooper. He's a hymn writer. And this hymn writer, William, William Cooper, uh, was raised in a Christian home. His father was a pastor. And he lost his mother at the age of six, was sent off to boarding school, and maybe was abused there at a very young age. He was apprenticed to a lawyer, but he was a poet. He, he didn't like the law. He hated the law. He wanted to be, he wanted to be writing poetry. And he, for lots of different reasons that went into this, he was depressed for most of his life. He tried to commit suicide. He may have never been fully freed from his depression until he saw Jesus in person. But the process of his faith, the laying on of hands of the healing Christ, did come to him gradually, but it came to him. And he was really helped by a good friend named John Newton. Do you know him as the one who wrote Amazing Grace? The former slave trader turned Christian and pastor wrote Amazing Grace. And they had a friendship that saw William Cooper through his depression, through the insane asylums. And over time, he came to put his faith in Christ. And that may be you as well. Maybe you're not depressed or, or, or suffering through depression at all, but your faith too is gradual. Your, your faith too is coming to you in a process. Brother, friend, brother, sister, don't lose heart. Commit yourself to the healing Christ. Entrust yourself to him. He's able to do this. He's not just able, he's willing just as, 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 as Josh quoted earlier this morning, all you who labor are heavy laden, he says, come to me. I will give you rest. I will heal your blindness and you will see clearly now. Let's pray. Father, we look to you as the only one who can open our blind eyes God, we're asking you to be patient with us. We're asking you to give us grace to, to have eyes of faith that, can, that will see what you're teaching us about yourself. Will you help us to progress in this life in our knowledge of you? Will you help us to not get discouraged in our, in our waiting? But will you help us to have more faith? Open our eyes to see you. And when, when we see you, we know we'll be captured by you. We know we will be captured by you. And, and, and you will fill our, our vision and be the only one that can save us. God, I pray that you do that for, for those in this room who, who don't know you. God, for those uh, in our lives, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. God, I pray that we would keep entrusting them to you. Give us boldness to speak about you in a very winsome way. God, I pray that as you do all of these things, you'll bring glory to yourself. In Christ's name.
Amen.